Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because it's time. It's, it's time for reparations. LGBTIQ rights are black rights. We have always been here. Black queers, we will always be here. It's like, it's a form of cultural imperialism. The only thing I have in common with this character is that she's black. This does not look like me or sound like me. I'm Gary Foley. I'm Francesca Ramsey. This is Amir Rahman. And you're listening to The Race Card. Welcome to The Race Card. I'm your host, Ahmed Youssef. And joining me in studio today, we've got Amina Ziard. Hey. As well as Darren Parker. Hey. Darren's going to be our guest today. And before we begin, I should say before we begin, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the, pe- the calling people as the owners of land in which we meet. And pay respects to the elders, both past and present. This land was never ceded in the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration, and genocide that began over two centuries ago. Continue to this day. You're listening to our one-hour show where we talk politics, current affairs, pop culture, with a little bit of a twist. And as I said before, academic Darren Parker is in studio today to talk to us about him and a lot of other things. I will leave that for a little bit later. As well as we're going to be looking at the backlash of former rugby player Joe Williams who um, receiving after deciding not to stand for the national anthem. Also looking at the Australian of, Australian of the Year awardee David Morris on his call to the bamboo ceiling, I should say, and feature on memification or memorization. We'll leave that to later. And now let's go into that interview. Thanks for coming on the show, Darren. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, I'm going to give you a proper... In, um, proper Introduction, I should say. You know, um, Darren is an academic who specialises in public law, constitutional law, and Aboriginal cultural heritage. And I, I guess specifically in Australia, where Indigenous culture is so heavily politicised, we're looking back at just just 2015. Adam Goods, how do you feel? What what do you what do you do to kind of try to make Indigenous culture um, and and with your work, I, I guess, more mainstream? Um. It's an interesting question in that way because it it, it runs a sort of a, a double-edged sword in, in many ways is that, um, and I say this to both of you as well, you know, your cultures are your cultures and you want to respect them for that very reason. You don't also, and, and I'm speaking for myself here, um, is that that seems to be enough. And it should be enough. But in, in many ways in Australia, uh, Aboriginal cultural heritage to gain respect or the adequate respect it fully deserves needs to be uh, promulgated out into the greater, wider society. And to some extent, there's a bit of a lessening of it in many ways of like, well... Okay, if we take one of the major cases in Aboriginal cultural heritage, the Tasmania Dams case from back in the early 80s, 
Um, that all turned around on uh, particular etchings in a cave down in Tasmania um, that the High Court ruled on, and it's, it's actually, you know, codified in the High Court judgment, so to speak, um, that it was there for humanity. So it sort of detracts from... There's this sort of philosophical separation from the very people whose culture it is, most in, in a direct lineage fashion, then being sort of co-opted out, if I can use such a term, to the greater populace. And it becomes like this sort of weakening of it. But at the same time, again, this is that catch-22. Unless people have a, no a working knowledge to some degree of it, how are they able to respect it in the right fashion? See, Aboriginal cultural heritage laws aren't directly under the Commonwealth government. They mainly fall to state and territory governments. So we get a piecemeal sort of quagmire in terms of Western Australia does this, Victoria does this, Queensland does this. So it becomes, you know, patchwork, so to speak. And sad to say, the greatest threat to Aboriginal cultural heritage sites, actual physical manifestation sites, is from vandalism. So, again, can you sort of see what I'm saying about, like, a, you, you sort of walk this fine line in that way. In terms of what you were uh, putting to me in terms of um, Adam Goods and the imaginary spear and, you know, white people's imaginary feelings, um, that too is something that's problematic in terms of uh, protection of Aboriginal cultural heritage laws is that the laws themselves only pertain to physical manifestation, physical objects. They've yet to sort of cross that rubric over into the intangible. And again, I put it back to you guys and, you know, just a simple th sort of question, you know, is all of your cultures tangible? No. Is, yeah, exactly. It's, it's impossible to have your culture in, in its entirety to be tangible. We're talking about whether it be language. Language is not something you can actually feel or see unless it's written down. And a lot of languages are just oral. Um, exactly. Like, like particularly Somali, Somali, for example, it wasn't made to be written until... The, the British came and said, hey, you know, you, sh you guys should use our alphabet. You know what I mean? <laughs> before that, yeah. So before that, it was yeah. just that it was an oral language. And something I would like to, to touch on what you said is, you know, kind of like the making indigenous culture palatable and, and kind of diluting it. Um, are we seeing that, like, especially now, it's, it's, it's fashionable to be okay with indigenous people to a point and, and kind of dilute it in that extent, do you get what I mean? Yeah, I certainly do. Um, well, look, I, I mean, we don't have to stray too far from that goods example again, um, you know. And, and I can sort of you know, contrast that in terms of the recent um, Stan Grant video or Noel Pearson's speech at the National Press Club uh, just last week. Um, Australia, like in terms of like mainstream Australia... Um, quite readily accept uh, a, a black person, an Aboriginal person, speaking to them and pointing out uh, certain discrepancies, if I can put it in a general sense like that. 
but it then becomes a sort of issue about how is that put to them? Is it being put to them in a very acceptable, fashioned uh, metropole of whiteness? So when we got Stan Grant, who's a very eloquent speaker, Noel Pearson, who's a very eloquent orator himself, you know, and, and us mob, and when I say us mob, like many in the black community, we hear this time and time again, oh, he speaks so well, oh, he's such a good talker. And I can't help, personally, again, can't help but sort of feel that tinge of like, oh, you've come, a, you've come along so well, you know, you're such a, you know, you, this little project that we're wor- working on has paid off dividends right here. You know, like, it sort of reminds me of a story when I was doing my PhD and a fellow PhD candidate uh, was standing there and we were sort of exchanging, you know, pleasantries and whatnot. We knew each other quite well, but it was just that small talk in the sort of corridors. And um, they asked me to read some of my stuff. And I was like, yeah, fine, not a, not a problem. Handed over, you know, one of the recent articles I'd just finished and... They came back to me later in the day and I'm sitting at my desk typing away, um, doing whatever. And they, the first thing they said to me was, you write really well. And I was just, I'm, I'm sitting there gobsmacked going, I'm in the PhD program just like you are. You know, would you say that to somebody else? Would you say that? And by somebody else, would you say that to another white person? Like, honestly, would you be saying that? It's like... I, you sort of sit there and I'm gobsmacked and I'm hardly the type of person to be lost for words, as your listeners are probably going to find out. <laughs> but I am just gobsmacked going like, you, I'm not sure and I don't want to speak for you guys, but have you ever had someone say that? You know, oh, you speak really yeah. well. You speak good oh, English. Oh, you speak really good All English. All the time. Oh, oh my God. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but like, but what you say about Sangran really kind of, like I, I remember seeing all that kind of like back backlash after him. Not not really backlash, just reaction really after he said that. And I feel like people talking about it being Australia's MLK moment. I'm like thinking, why are we rewriting history? I don't know. Maybe Australia's MLK moment came a lot longer, <laughs> farther back than that. Like um, I'm pretty sure, like you know better than me, like about Indigenous people fighting for the right to be even human. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> like that, that's a thing, and. Um, have you ever heard the expression cultural cringe? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever heard that expression? No, I actually haven't. No? <laughs> I haven't. Okay. Um, kind of like, um, how can I explain it? Sort of like the way, uh, because Australia in one sense is such a young nation, mm-hmm. um, it's constantly sort of looking up to the rest of the world and it's looking up to what in our history was particularly it was like the motherland it was england you know and more recently in terms of you know the last 20 or so years 30 years it's been the usa so there's always this sort of like oh no we're good enough no we're really it's like the youngest in the family always trying to show off and prove up to the older siblings sort of thing so there's a lot of that sort of cultural cringe and when that came out with like mlk like many of us were just sitting there going, "What the hell? What are, are you so you know derived of your own history that you still 
like pointing out to the rest of the world going look at us no really we're good enough no come on we're really good enough you know i heard i read an article in the paper this morning about lucy turnbull being like the jackie o moment of showing people around the lodge and i'm going like oh fuck. I, I don't want to swear on your podcast but like oh give me a break please you know, um, so when we heard this MLK moment, it was a bit, it was quite farcical. Regardless of people's in good intention, and I'll just assume they had good intentions by saying it, it was just like, oh, that was insipid. It was truly insipid. Particularly when we look to like um, the strong, strong advocates we've had throughout Indigenous history in, in terms of its impact and its pushback against colonisation. So, yeah, it's it's a bit farcical. The other thing you notice about that um, is that we seem to be, um, I, I wouldn't say replicating it. Uh, I think that's too strong an expression. But we're certainly being um, rewarded by white society in terms of only our men are starting to get all of this, well, not starting to, but all... Uh, are getting the sort of recognition in terms of the national debate, Pearson, um, you know, Grant, Goods. Well, you know, uh, I come from a matrilineal um, family and culture where it's our Aboriginal women who are the stalwarts in the pushback against white society and whiteness and, you know, Maybe. oppression and subjugation. You know, my mother is... Uh, undoubtedly my all-time hero you know there there doesn't be it's her and then you know daylight second sort of thing (laughs) um and certainly i've spoken to other mob and you know that's right across the country who also notice this and also push back on it as well you think about okay just for instance you know the current chair of the indigenous forum at the un megan davis you know cobble cobble woman from queensland you know, professor of law at, uh, where is it, the University of New South Wales. You know, um, but... There's tons of, like, there's even, um, I met um, Auntie Jenny Munro. Jenny Munro, yeah, like, Marcia Langton, oh, we, we've had Mariki. We've had Mariki on the... Mariki. Yeah, like, there's so many. Yeah, and, uh, and it's strange because, like, it just seems to me as, you know, and I say it with the greatest of irony, being, a you know... It, Indigenous man sitting here being interviewed on your podcast, so I'm I'm well aware of that irony as well. But uh, it seems to me that this there's, there's trying to be this sort of replication put onto us by white society, which is look, you know, it's a patriarchal society. It certainly is, yeah. and I certainly, as I've said, I certainly know from my culture we don't work like that. You know, mm. not at all. But yeah. Talking about indigenous culture, and what I find very interesting is how a lot of non-indigenous people, and I'm and I've been just as guilty as this in the past, how people think indigenous people should be looking, and how they should, and, and I'm pretty sure with your facial uh, reaction, you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. And and this week I was reading um, this article in the conversation. It's it's, it's a couple of months old. Yeah. It's about Aboriginal identity being more about culture than color. And a quote that I got from it is. 
Aboriginal people do not rely on race-based identity. In fact, while pe those people writing their life stories and their family histories are often interested in acknowledging non-Aboriginal ancestors, they do not identify with them. They continue to be Aboriginal. So talk to me about how a lot of non-Indigenous people continually talking about how Indigenous people should be looking. Oh, it, it, it's, it runs the gamut. Like, I, I will certainly, in my experience, that, that, that runs a complete spectrum from, like, you don't look Aboriginal, you know, those sort of off the cuff, which, you know, I, I have no uh, sort of apologies about I am, I am a smartass in some instances. And sometimes people need that sort of kick up the bum to, you know, m make them at least in that instance, in that immediate instance, more aware. Because I've had it, you know, time and time again, you don't look Aboriginal. Yeah, you don't look like a dickhead, but here we both are. <laughs> you know, we're both standing right here, you know. <laughs> Things like that. Um, no, so it can come from appearance. We've got like, um, you know, a, a very infamous court case that um, was basically... Um, off the back of a series of articles or blogs, I think. Um, and they essentially went back to, you know, that discredited pseudoscience of eugenics and, like, blood mm, yeah. quantum. You know, how, how much... And again, you know, questions that Mob and myself have heard time and time again, you know. What part Aboriginal are you? Well, it's my left foot, the one I'm about to stick in your backside. <laughs> you know, um, it's just, you know, from appearance sake and then it comes down to, well, do you speak language? Do you know mm. your culture? Do you live on your country? There's a, there's a whole sort of, as I said, there's a spectrum where people come at you from that sort of, um, it, it's sort of like an attitude of someone who knows, I'll say, little to nothing about the act our actual culture or cultures, uh, seeing that there's, you know, uh, quite, a, quite a few of them, a couple of hundred, um, coming at you as if they're some sort of uh, expert in the field and they want you to prove to them mm. that you are actually mm. Aboriginal enough to satisfy their test. Um, and there should be like a little asterisk next to their test because then when you read the fine print, test may vary you know <laughs> yeah it's it's such a subjective thing is this sort of what you were talking about when yeah no exactly yeah. no like because um i see it so often that people talk about indigenous culture in that in this way and i i kind of think like for example um say for example if i do not look i'm somali and a lot of somalis are black um, so, so if I, if my family go along the line of not being as 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 uh, darker skin as Somali people should be looking like, does that mean the people that are going to be my kin are not going to be Somali anymore? It's, it's just this idea of um, how this strange idea of it's also very white supremacist as well. You, mm. you you're conditioning is, your identity to being um, how you should look. Yeah, it's massively so. And that's something that um, many of us mob actually, you know, tell our next generations is that, you know, culture is not a skin colour mm. and it's not uh, it's not bound up in your, your melatonin or your lack thereof, you know. It's, it's in what you 
do day to day and it's in your okay. praxis. You know, um, if I give you a fine example, I've got three uh, great nieces under the age of eight. All of them are under the age of eight. And all of them can pretty much speak fluent Ngunnawal and Gunungurra. And uh, the eldest, uh, Coops, she speaks Radjuri as well. Wow. So, like, I don't even speak Somali. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, saying. I mean, and they speak it fluently, and yeah. we speak it at home. My mum and I hold conversations in language. Um, you know, it's it, it wasn't there for many years, but then both of us got so, you know, um, not frustrated. Frustrated is not the right word, but we were just so uh, struck by how powerful our culture is that we couldn't let it remain un untouched so we revitalized our language we both sat in the um, you know the national library went to iatsis we've also spoken to other of our relos other mob as well and we're revitalizing our language we you know we started out with a you know i've still got the piece of paper at, uh, in my files you know we started out with a list of nouns you know just naming things and would name things and that that pretty much spurred us off again. I guess that's a, a great example of, you know, a lot of people say things are not how they used to be, but the thing is nothing will ever be how it used yeah. to be. No. And, yeah. and culture, just as anything, is always revitalizing itself. It's always changing. That is an excellent point because if, uh, quite simply, and it doesn't matter who you are, if you don't adapt, you die. Yeah. You know, and yeah. culture that's does true. that and it has to do that. Yeah. And I mean, look, if we're going to turn around and say and you know make the absolute you know factual claim that we've been here millennia it'd be it'd be ludicrous to think that our culture has not adapted mm. over millennia you know and i also see that and it's beautiful to see it's absolutely you know heartwarming to see is young mob and younger generations and my generation as well digitizing you know, and we're using all of this, um, you know, new technology, tech, you know, tech that we've grown up with, basically, and we're using it in a way which uh, sustains and affirms culture. You know, and I can also throw back to like, you ever been over to Bunjalaka at the museum? Oh yeah. 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 Have you seen those uh, spearheads that were chipped out of glass? Ooh. I cannot remember that far. There, there's, uh, there's a row of spearheads. Oh, okay. I sorry, just came to my mind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, I do and, remember. And and it was from like old um, old bottles. Yeah. And they'd actually the uh, mob had uh, chipped away, and they'd made perfect, absolutely perfect spearheads. Now this was this was a a product a technology mm -hmm. that had been introduced, mob adapted to it, yeah, like that you know. So I don't see it in principle any different. Definitely, and especially where you say about the internet, that's like and technology in general that is so powerful in preserving things that otherwise would have been lost by burning of documents and and what have you, and that now can reaffirm and 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 make sure that's there for the the, the next generation. Right. That's right. And the other thing that I was thinking was how the accessibility of knowledge. Um, 
would you like to speak on that? No, go. Well? What were you going to say? <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, um, I feel a lot of the time we have this idea that to connect with our culture, we need to um, go back to our home countries or we need to go back, you know, do somersaults or something. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like cultural somersaults to get that information. But I think the great thing with the internet is that that somersault can be more like a head turn, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's a great analogy. That's a really good yeah. analogy for it. Um, and it's certainly it's certainly true in terms of if I just take like something uh, as sort of run-of-the-mill and accepted or ubiquitous as mm-hmm. Twitter, you know. Um, I sit on Twitter and I talk to mob over in Western Australia, up in the Kimberley, um, over in Darwin, you know, across in Port Narolunga, um you know, right across the country is the sort of, you know, point I'm trying to make. And we feed off each other in many ways in terms of, like, what are you doing? How's this working? Oh, I've got a question here on this sort of thing. You know, all of that sort of stuff, that that beautiful um, sharing mm-hmm. of uh, story and knowledge is just phenomenal in terms of a digital medium. That the week that was the week that was the week that was. This is Amir Rahman, and you're listening to the Race Card. Now we're into our segment, the week that was, where we highlight the most notable and interesting stories, or infamous stories of the week. First up, we look at a story that developed after Indigenous man Joe Williams decided not to stand for the national anthem in a ceremony where he received a Wagga Wagga Citizen of the Year. Williams was immediately criticised for his decision by Councillor Paul Funnell, who said. If he was struggling so gravely to accept the award and he refused, he refuses to stand for the national anthem, he should hand it back. If that's the disrespect he has for our national anthem and our nation, he should have never accepted the award. This is the highest Australian honour at our local level and he refuses to respect the country. I, am, I absolutely respect his right to have an opinion. I want to make that clear, but this is divisive, not unifying. That was Paul Funnel, funnily enough. Um, and uh, b- before we even get into the discussing um, this uh, Indigenous person deciding not to stand for an anthem that doesn't represent him potentially, um, and in a country that hasn't recognised him as a human up until 1967, um, where's that, you know, that little thing called freedom of expression that um, our democracy that we so-called have says we have, or did I miss that memo somewhere? <laughs> you know, um, you know, it, it, like you, you think it doesn't. You, you think it, you think it ends there. Um, uh, Mr. Funnel went out and and had an interesting conversation with a few people on the project um, where he asked for for manners. He asked uh, Mr. Williams, "Where were?" Your manners. All I ask is that just show the respect, or some may say the protocol, the um, the manners to stand up. I'm not asking Joe or anyone else to accept the national anthem or anything, but if someone gives you an award, please just have the manners to stand up. Joe, I just believe there was a chance you wouldn't mind giving me the chance to. Just... Yeah, you know those those manners. You know those basic manners. Um, and uh, before we get to what um, what. Joe uh, replied, um, I, I want to ask you, <laughs> Darren, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, where do you begin? Um, oh, I can't get past the manners at the moment. Sorry. You well, no, sort of... you, 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 oh, actually, I'm sorry. Um, 
I think I've, I've I've left you short there. It doesn't end there, actually. Oh. You know, <laughs> Mr. Funnel, uh, Mr. Funnel. You know, um, he believes he might be indigenous. If, if Joe, I gave you the chance, but if you wouldn't mind just giving me the chance to to say my piece, I'm happy to have the debate as we have shown before. But let's not disrespect people such as myself or my family. I'm indigenous to this country too, and have been since 1792 when I came, our family came out as convicts. Yeah, so um, his family came to Australia as convicts, but he is indigenous. Um, Darren, I, 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 I mean, I don't particularly understand what he's trying to say. I think what he's trying to say is because his family has stayed here for 200 years or plus, somehow he's native. Um, yeah, that's that's you know, native whiteness talking. <laughs> oh, she, uh, I mean, has a really interesting story. When she came to Australia, she was like, because um, I'm... Oh, I can, you, I can you, say story. You can tell your okay. story. <laughs> so um, when I was new to Australia, I was, you know, hanging around a lot of Australians. <laughs> White people. My commiserations. White people. And um, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know that, you know, the word was Aboriginal or like Indigenous. And I said Native because, you know, you say Native American. I thought it was Native Australian. And I remember I would ask people, oh, I would like to learn more about Native Australia. And they would always say, oh, yeah, yeah, we can show you Native Australia. And then they started talking about lemmingtons. They started talking, <laughs> then, you know what I mean? They started talking about things like that. And then I was like, okay, guys, this is not what I had in mind. I, I think we understand this very differently. And once I told them that, like, oh, by Native Australia, I really mean Indigenous, then everyone just got quiet. And the way how they had imagined what is native to Australia was obviously very, well, I guess very whitewashed. I guess you not even whitewashed, but they were, they felt um, that they were they owned the land. Like they felt they were entitled. Yeah. That was yeah. That was my experience. Um, I'd like to say. Um, that's sort of a, a, a rare story I've heard from people, but it's not, sad to say. But then again, and, and not to dismiss it, is to say, well, you could actually, if you wanted to, you could get together with a lot of friends and you could make like an anthology. So, <laughs> just a thought. Yeah, like, I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people with I very similar stories. Yeah, I think there's there'd be a few like... of them stories out there <laughs> running around. But you're right, you know, it, it's um, it's a very sterilised and uh, blinkered kind of uh, way of viewing the world and the the history of this country, yeah, more so, is that, no, no, you know, history only began at 1788, mm-hmm. you know, and my, uh, my family's been on this land for, you know, six generations and like as us mob, we we're you know very very used to hearing those sort of statements, and you just sit there and go, yeah, 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 six generations, wow, that's awesome. Um, How about sixty thousand years? Yeah, exactly. You know, sort of thing. But going back to oh god, funnel statement. Where do you even start to deal with someone um, like that? Um, I noticed that in terms of uh, him using that he's Indigenous and in his family are Indigenous since 1792, was it? 1792? Thereabouts. Ah, whatever. 
numbers. Yeah, um, it's actually a, a restatement of Pauline Hanson's maiden uh, speech in Parliament. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Where um, she was actually, you know, stating the the exact same thing. She's indigenous to this country. This is in relation to uh, uh, was the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People and whether Australia would sign it or not. At the time, no, we weren't signing it. And there was a bit of a scare tactic. <laughs> Fancy the Australian Parliament putting out scare tactics. I just, I'm shocked. Um about how it would create uh, a plurality in the law, one rule for them, one rule for us, sort of thing, which was totally nonsense, absolutely farcical. Um, But she was actually saying, you know, I'm Indigenous to this country, this is my country, I've been here for so many generations, my family have. Um, And now, yeah, we can just relate it in terms of simply, you know, an equation of like, well... 200 years or thereabouts stacked up against, you know, millennia, 60,000 and, and then some. But I think also what Funnel has done there and what I think, you know, when he's talking about manners is exactly what I was saying to you previously in the show about, like, you know, a black man or a black woman can push back against white society, but they must do so in the most, you know, confined fashioned as predeposed by white people and whiteness. So what he's actually talking about there is like whiteness is the metropole. You must, you know, you must adhere to the rules, and again, rules may vary, to the metropole, and that being whiteness. Now, you know, as he said, you know, I've got no problem with Joe getting this award, but he should have just done this in the right way. Well, no, sorry, but the you know the democracy and individuals don't operate in that fashion. Wasn't hurting anyone, you know. Didn't hurt anyone. He didn't upset anyone mm. except someone who you know, like Fennell, can't see past his own bloody shadow. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of you know Eddie Maguire. Oh god! You know, um, you go. know, if only Adam Goods had <laughs> yeah. told the stadium, yeah. if only he told the security, if only he uh, told them. the whole like if only, everyone would yeah. have been happy yeah. about it. Yeah, like he would have just embraced him. He could have bust flyers out. Throw it at me! Throw it at me! <laughs> We all would have known. It would have just been so much better. And, like, <laughs> hell, you know, far from the fact that it was an Indigenous player during Indigenous round. I mean, like, oh, my God, talk about blindsiding people. You just you come out of left field there, Adam. What, what are you doing, mate? You know, absolute farcical. Could have just know, let us a memo. You know, exactly. And and we hear this, and we hear this, you know, time and time again through Parliament, through elected officials like that. You know, you must act a certain way. 
you must right. do a certain thing. You know, that, what do they call it? Respectability mm. politics? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me just ask you, um, where's the respectability politics got us thus far? Very yeah. little. No, not at all. Yeah, I actually feel like respectability politics is a way for whiteness to stay in authority. Damn right it is. Yeah. So Isn't it a yeah. way to chain you down? It is. So it's like, oh, well, it it's, gives you this facade that, yes, you can resist. Yes, you can do all that stuff. You can speak your mind. But do it in a way that still appeases to us. That's right. So it still centers on whiteness. And it's, I mean, really, respectability politics... Yeah, I don't think it changes anything. Well, like, I think uh, I remember you saying something that really like intrigued me about Majid Noaz, who's, who's yeah. coming, unfortunately, to Australia. You said, um, what was it? White supremacy oh. in, in, in brown face. Yes. <laughs> in a brown face, like. Yeah, and, and the thing is, when you, I, get, I mean, not so much about resistance, but more about using tokens, maybe, for their agenda, for the white supremacist agenda, they're able to say things like, oh, this person of color, this indigenous person, this black person, this, you know what I mean? Like this Asian person. Oh, but they, they believe with they believe what we believe. So therefore, we can't be that bad. You know what I mean? Like, that's- exactly. You know, and um, I mean, us mob have had this done to us, you know, for, you know, 200 plus years, 220 years. And it's exactly right. You know, Christ, you only have to go back to Benelon. You know, the story of Benelong. You know, he, he was dressed up. He was taken overseas. Poor bastard died destitute and broken. Absolutely broken. You know, it it, it didn't get him anywhere. Pemaway, if I, I contrast that, Pemaway, uh, you know, staunch warrior, resistance fighter, you know, died horribly himself, but gave it right back back to the colonizers just saying look i'm not putting up with this crap this is rubbish you know and i you know i, I know which one i'd prefer you know mm-hmm. and i know which one in terms of you know as we're sitting here talking about it now i i know which one creates whilst at the same time creates a more sort of evocative reaction from those that are are dead set against it who are only pretty much in the game to protect that white uh, power base. But they're never going to change mm. in many ways. They're never going to yeah. change. You can never be white enough for them. Yeah. You can never be respectable enough for them. So right. I just think, well, no, learn the way they work the game and then work it harder than them. And talking about that, uh, I think Joe um, had a really, really good response. He wrote an article um, for NITV um, during the week, and he said this. My response is this. Every year, January 26 is a political statement. Every single year, many Australians opt to celebrate being in a free country on the very grounds where my ancestors split blood and lost their lives, many lives. Every year, January 26 is a day when Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians are divided. How can we celebrate together on a day when the rest of the country is dancing on the shallow graves of our past? Once again, the Indigenous man is expected to be seen but not heard. Are people hurt because I did stand? I didn't stand? Or are they hurt because I made a statement as an Aboriginal man and chose to exercise my right in a free country? Never will I sit on my hands or remain silent when it comes to my people. And that is a really good note to end on. Um, We're going to go to our next story in the week that was. Right. And so... 
David Morrison, former Chief of Army, was recently awarded Australian of the Year, and he has been applauded for raising the issue of the bamboo ceiling. For listeners who are unaware, the bamboo ceiling, coined by Jane Hyun, refers to systemic obstructions of Asian people in the workplace, where they can see, for instance, managerial positions but cannot reach them. The metaphor is a derivative of the term glass ceiling, used to denote the structural disallowing of women from reaching top positions. Asian Australians, for information, make up 10% of the Australian population, yet occupy less than 2% of senior executive positions in ASX 200 companies. While it is commendable that David Morrison would like to see more Asian Australians in top jobs, there are several topics of concern. From the awarding of a white man as a champion for diversity, and as the words go, pale, male, and stale, the juxtaposition of Asian and woman in the ways we imagine structural inequality and oppression, I mean, you know, the glass ceiling and the bamboo ceiling for Asian women is probably pretty similar. The the economization of addressing oppression, that is, addressing oppression through a corporate lens, as well as ethnic nepotism and model minority. So there's a lot of things to talk about um, in this story. Um, Ahmed, what are your thoughts? Well, like, um, I, I saw this, and when, when, I was, when I saw him winning the Australian of the Year, what I was like, ah, champion of diversity, he's a white man. <laughs> hey, let's give all the jobs to the women and the ethnics. Oh, but, you know, like, I'm the one leading this, right? <laughs> but, like, um... Like I, I don't want to make it about him because like he, he obviously he's doing good jo- he's doing good work, but it's a question why he's been recognised ahead of I think there was a transgender woman who uh, who's been working the army and has done some incredible work, but she obviously they didn't win uh, he did but I, 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 but regarding the bamboo ceiling, I just wonder like we were talking off air about it and it has potential for model minority and why do why does he particularly want Asian Australians to get into these positions of, of power? Is it because China are a, a massive power? Is it because Japan's over there and Korea's there? Right. Is, it, is it more for financial benefit opposed to yeah. creating a more diverse workplace? And why would, he, why would he just pick Asian Australians opposed to creating a, a more, diverse, um, more diversity for, for all ethnic minorities? Right. So my theory is the interest in addressing the bamboo ceiling comes from a place of increasing trade relations with growing Asian economies. Mm. And uh, it thus becomes convenient to tap into Asian Australians because somehow they have the insight, <laughs> the language. <laughs> they, they, they know um, how to do the math. <laughs> they know how to do math, right? They, they, yes. they can do the math for us, right? Exactly. So yeah. they embody all these skills that they they like. Um, so it doesn't come from a genuine interest in ending racist economic practices. Um, if that was the case, then maybe they would open it to, you know, all all people in Australia, mm. they, not just, you know, Asian Australians. Um, but also, um, I'm a little bit wary with the idea of just asking Asian Australians because there is already the model minority myth, um, which I find problematic to feed into because that's the same myth that causes Asian Australians or Asian people, like people of Asian descent in general, um, like it, it actually furthers mental health issues. Um, the fact that they have to constantly measure themselves against, against this idea of what they should be like. So what happens if you're Asian and you're not good at math? Then what yeah, happens? Like, like that's, <laughs> but like, you know, the thing with a model minority that kind of bugs me is that people think model minorities are 
just Asian people, which is kind of odd. The reason people become model minorities isn't necessarily because they are a specific minority. It's because they're a specific minority that also have wealth. So mm, I, I feel like the, yeah. the breakdown yeah. of class is kind of yeah. completely missed. Like there can be, I know there, there are tons of um, African migrants that have come to Australia um, that have come as skilled migrants and they're just as model minority as, say, um, um, X or Y Asian person right. in that situation. And I feel it becomes kind of like a situation where there's, there could be this Asian family and there's a lot of people come from refugee backgrounds and just because they happen to be Asian, you say, hey, you're a part of the model minority, aren't you? You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Or mm. that you, yeah, okay, I get it. But um, I, yeah, that's just a, just like a, a burning thought in my mind yeah. that moment. And the other thing that's on my mind is, you know, what does it say when your incentives for addressing inequality must be connected to corporate success for oppression oh. to be worth addressing? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. No, I think that's a damn fine point and something that should be really unpacked on that, on just that level. Yeah, I think it's. I think the problem with viewing. I guess, addressing oppression through corporate success is that in order to attain that, you would have to have some kind of privilege to attain that. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, whether it's class or whether it's, you know, having, you know, the the right education, so to speak, or whatever it is. Um, for, for me, I feel like there are so many people who will not even come close to that. There are people who fall through the cracks and their oppression won't be addressed. Um, no, it, yeah. it's a, that's what I mean. It's a great point to bring up and i think it it ties back to what you were saying about that um, model minority as mm-hmm. well is is that <clears throat> excuse me is how you know in uh with uh us blackfellas we get a lot and particularly you know uh, as a male oh oh can you play footy can you do this you know there's all of these sort of physical ab- attributes and we hear that through you know um the popular media, you know, back to Adam Goods saying, oh, he's magical, he's freakish, he's this. Well, what about all the, you know, the 30 hours, 40 hours a week he puts into it every bloody week? I mean, come on, mm, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, you're Asian, you're good at maths. Yeah, because I do it 12 hours a bloody day. You know, I study it. I, you know, I work mm-hmm. my backside off for it sort of thing. And then where you've also got, like, exactly that class structure that sort of, sort of, it, it sits in the background, as it were, where, as mm-hmm. you said, you've got to come from that sort of um, acceptable pathway right. sort of thing. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've had, you know, not just in academic jobs, but like in professional jobs where I've gone into interviews and, you know, people have, you know, more or less, the interviewers have more or less understood or have told them straight out, you know, I'm an Indigenous man, not a wild man. And they go, oh, right, okay. Oh, tell us your story. And you just sort of go like, I'm not your monkey. I'm not going to dance for you, you clown. You know? I have I just want you to look at my resume, mm-hmm. see my abilities and my skill set, work out if I'm good for the job or not. Thank you very much. <laughs> you, you know, know, sort of thing. You know what you say about, like, Adam Goods and, 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 and about, like, he spent how many hours a week cultivating his technique and his style and he's playing 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 AFL that, that 
elite level, just as that Asian kid that honed his craft doing. Ma- but the thing is, like, if if you if society tells you the only way you can seek success is through um, playing sport, therefore your reality will become that because that is mm. what you think you. Because like perception right. becomes reality. Exactly, exactly, and and that uh, and. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's the sort of point you're making about, like, the corporatization yeah. of it as well. Yeah. Isn't it? Exactly. And I think the the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy basically rewards you for filling in those stereotypes. Um, they reward you financially. Can I ask you guys a question, seeing you've been asking me mm. questions? Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go ahead. Do you believe in diversity? Well, like, I, I believe in a decolonized version of diversity, um, and I believe, like, we can't be hitting quarters for the sake of hitting quarters, and we have to change the way. Um, so, for example, the only way we can have diversity, if we have diversity, not only in just, like, oh, we have staff that are black and brown. You have to have diversity in positions of power. And yep. also in those positions of power, like, for example, Barack Obama is the the, the example, the golden, um, like, we're talking about respectability politics. Yeah. yeah. Barack yeah. Obama... He he embodies it to a T, um, and if we're talking about um, brown face, uh, white, white brown face, what whatever we're saying about Majid Nawaz, he does it to a T because like this guy has set over his presidency, watched um, tons of Black Americans die, has uh, sent drones to drone like like to Somalia where yeah. I where, where my family's from, and other countries all around. Like so, exactly the things like we just can't have people in positions of power just because they're the one we need a number we have to change the way we see diversity and that only changes when this obviously this sounds very you know uh the system must fall that kind of thing but like ultimately if a system is upheld because of white supremacy that system must be deconstructed before it can um i guess represent anyone other than the the majority if you will right um my opinion is similar to ahmed's um, I'll t- probably take it a little bit further. Is that is that all right? Oh, you can do it however you like. <laughs> you can say let's burn this. Let's burn the bloody. I'm not going to say anything after that. Just yeah. Um, so I mean, I think my my weariness comes from we tend to see diversity in relation to whiteness. Yeah. So we still put whiteness as the norm, and then diverse or ethnic or multicultural mm. suddenly becomes word for everybody else yep. who are not who are not white, basically. And that's where I have an issue. It, it's no longer about dismantling the system. It's more like tacking on people. Um, you become an yeah. addendum sort of thing yeah. to it, like don't you? Like an accessory. Yeah, yeah like an and accessory. Like a new key. Here's my Indian friend. <laughs> That's, right near you know, my, yeah, exactly. my, my yeah. African or, or, friend. Or things like, I ate Thai food today. You know, like, that's not the kind of diversity <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, I, I'm kind of interested in. That's not, Hey, hey, you know. hey. Um, my favorite food are dumplings, okay? Like, I uh, always get them for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Avita? Yeah, um, yeah, so that's basically, that's the place where I become wary with diversity. And also, um, just speaking on that, I feel like people think of diversity and multiculturalism, or they celebrate those things in terms of cultural goods and products, yep. and not in terms of people. And unless that people can entertain you with cultural goods and products. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dance, um, monkey, dance yes, sort of thing um, for me. But apart from that, um, they don't really, if that is the only way they can accommodate for you when they talk of diversity... 
that's also another type of diversity that I don't particularly <laughs> I've been in all rap this year at the awards. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love hip hop. Obviously. But tonight, it's all about soul. Okay. Hold on a second. I got another call. Wait a minute. Oh, Thugger. What's up, young Thug? No, honestly, man, you are my favorite artist out right now. But I ain't letting anybody in with no littles and youngs and they name. Yeah. Hang on one second. I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, yes. Who is this? Iggy Azalea. Yeah, hey. Oh, no, 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 no. You can come, because what you're doing is definitely not rap. Yeah. Yeah, I got on my overalls. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to send an Uber for you right now. Yeah, come on, be outside. So our feature this week is on memification. And if you're on social media platforms, you're probably already aware of what memes are. Um, basically a mode of cultural transmission. Memification is the process of spreading concepts and catchphrases, usually for the purpose of mimicry. I came up with that definition. Mimicry? That's a good one. Don't, um, don't, don't, that's not official. (laughs) That's my interpretation of things. Um, So what can sound like lighthearted internet humor can be rooted in more sinister underpinnings, particularly anti-blackness. And um, Ahmed and I, we talk about this often Uh, off air. Just like, uh, like, I always see like it's like it's not even like I see a lot of white people on Twitter just use random black people as just like their memes and then it's like it's not always that you can't use a black person as your meme or a person of color it's just that it becomes a form of circus it becomes a form of um, you're using them in a sense to exploit them and exploit particular people because you, you would never use that particular meme to dis- uh, and you wouldn't use a white person in that sense, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, for example, um, how Michael Jordan has re- been reduced to teary eyes on an internet screen, like right now, and uh, so many other people. And, like, you know, like, very kind of, very kind of, like, racist um, tropes like that, you know, like the sassy black woman. And you always see things like that on GIFs mm-hmm. or memes and things like that. And it's just, like, right. it is, and it's, like, it's usually just, Tons of tons of white people on Twitter or or Facebook or whatever social media platform um, using this, and it's just it becomes like I, I just wonder: Are you using it? Why? Why are you um, are, are using that meme? Is that some? Mm-hmm. Is there some some? Is there a subconscious kind of level of bigotry in that? Because right. um, whether you like it or not, we live in a, a um, I guess a, a place where we're socially conditioned to see certain people as less than human. So when we use those memes, are we just perpetuating that? Right. Um, and I also... Oh, that, that might yeah. be very extreme for memes. <laughs> but like people, people might be listening to this at home and thinking, oh, he's just making it. But just... But when I... But just no, look, well, there's interesting um, research uh, that's been done in terms of like um, social conditioning of children and, and just through the medium of children's books. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if I say to you, princess. Oh, you obviously think white blonde. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I just had Cinderella in my head. Yeah, see, me too. I, I could Bang, not. straight away. I, I, I had didn't Cinderella. It, it like, happened straight away, yeah, didn't it? It did. Yeah. And you didn't, you didn't even have time to sort of second guess it. Shit, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Black did, Princess, Black Princess, bang. Black Princess. It was bang, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I know what did you mean. This is true. See what I mean? Yeah. We're actually conditioned from such a young age. So in some sense, it may be subconscious in terms mm-hmm. of that meme, but... Uh, I wouldn't put that as a, a blanket I sort of put it as a reason because I've seen some of these memes and I've seen you know the timelines of some of the people that do it and it's not they do it to to hurt to injure to right. ridicule they do mm-hmm. you know and I don't need to s- jump inside there or psycho psychoanalyze their heads you can see it pure as you know the day yeah. Like From I, their timeline, I, I, you know, I just they're, see... they're bald face racists or bigots, mm-hmm. and and I kind of see like I like more often than not I see it in a sense of there's certain things that you can pick out right, and you can say there's something wrong here, but there's certain things like these where you just can't openly just say hey, that's racist. You, you because there's going to be this thing where you know I'm I'm just looking at the notes right now, sensitive. Like that, that word is itself. You're being too sensitive. Oh, you know, Are you're we... making too much of it. Do, mm. do, you, do you cop that as well? Like, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, PC police, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I'm going, oh, yeah, PC. Social you justice know. warrior. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> SJW, the way that gets thrown around, like it's some sort of, you know, pejorative term now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm a notorious care lord. <laughs> you know, um, Actually, I like that. I'm a notorious care lord. You know yeah. things like that. You know where I'll play it right back, and others will play it, and you see it, and you play it right back to them. But or where people say, you know, oh PC, you go, yeah, I mean, how dare we care about people? It's just outrageous, isn't it? Oh my goodness! Like the worst thing Who that can happen. Who would want to treat people with respect? <laughs> I I love that idea. And so useful in social media. Uh, Speaking of which, um, you know, I think the thing that strikes me or the things that I think about, again, I think a lot about these things, um, is when we laugh at these memes, are we laughing by virtue of its humor or the fact that it's by, like, featuring black people, that's the humor? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think people need to pick out where they find their humor from. Mm. Is it the fact that, you know, especially with the the sassy black woman um, stereotype or the trope. Um, the fact that that is so prevalent with memes, um, yeah. does that is that the reason why we find that meme funny? Is that the reason why we find that catchphrase funny? Um, there's, this re- there's this one meme that is really popular. Uh, at one point, it was really popular. Um, Ain't got time for that or something like yeah, that? Yeah, you know that meme. Yep, yeah. Yep. yeah, okay, so that to me, I mean, it sounds like an ordinary cat, like, an ordinary phrase, but the fact that it is positioned with a black woman, that's where the humor comes. You know, that's where people are getting entertained. And yeah. I, so I think people need to find where exactly their humor is rooted in. You know, and, and, and like, um, like the thing is, like, like uh, there's also this guy from ESPN, this um, this African-American presenter. I'm pretty sure everyone's seen him on the internet because he's memed so often. And he's very eccentric. 
and he uses his hands a lot. He moves around, and he's he's like very kind of like you know, like he's out there, right? And he's meme to the hilt, and the and like in in things that don't even have any kind of like there's no, there's no kind of correlation to what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and you know why he's being memed. It's because he's being mocked. And just like, you ain't got time for that. You're being mocked. Right. And it's a sense of subtle mockery. Where yeah. Well, there's a long history in it, isn't there? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I was sort of mentioning uh, that there's a long history to it, I mean, you only need to go, like, back a couple hundred years. You look at, like, 19th century cartoons or postering. And there's a very, very blatant racial superiority on the poster or in the cartoon. Oh, definitely. And and you definitely see the sort of tapering off, hopefully, Mm -hmm. the tapering off of that, that is still unbelievably still present present that that hasn't been dealt with through memes. And and we talk about how the medium's changed, but the, the sort of message may have just got a bit muffled a bit, mm. but it's still there. It's still there. You like, know what I mean? Right. Like, like, I remember, um, it's slightly different to meme, but just like a like a cartoon. And I remember when Chris Gale um, oh, was, was being... Yeah, was, was, yeah you know what I mean? It was being sexist to, to Mama McLaughlin. The following week, um, he doesn't have teeth. He has a watermelon in his mouth. And mm. we all know what that reference is. Yeah, well, right. uh, I, and... I'm sure you heard, I'm sure um, mm. you heard, you know, people going, well, why is that racist? And it's like, oh, my God, there's a complete and utter history here yeah. that that has decried black people around wa- eat- eating watermelons. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say, oh, but it's just a joke. Or, no, it wasn't attached to that. Sorry, it doesn't sit out of context that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, the reason why he used those words... Um, what, what what were the words again? What was um, um about the watermelon? Ah, forget the words. Okay, but basically he was yeah. he was linking um Chris Gale and watermelon. Oh, definitely. And it's like, oh, that no, is, that is like, like very yeah. um that link is made very deliberately. It doesn't exactly. come out of oh, nowhere. No, he, he said like get this watermelon out of here, something like that. Yeah. And it's like you're linking. Yeah, definitely. That, that link is so prevalent and it's so obvious. I mean, if he said get that peanut out of there, it wouldn't make sense. You know what I mean? No. Like it would get that apple out of there. It wouldn't. It wouldn't make sense. That the use of watermelon is very deliberate. So, and you know, and I guess in the case of memes, a lot of that is also very deliberate in in terms of constructing that humor and what we find humorous. Yes, and I guess right now we're going to to say our goodbyes. Um, thanks for listening to uh, The Race Guide again. And remember, you can find us uh, on Twitter at The Race Card. Find us on Facebook, race car, uh, uh, facebook.com forward slash race card show. You can find us on ACAR searching race card. And you can find us on Mixcloud searching race card. Um, and also you can find... Uh, me at Ahmed Yusuf Ten on Twitter, and I'm pretty sure they can find you as well, Darren. Ah, uh, yes, you can, uh, Darren Parker. Is it Darren underscore Parker? Yeah, under underscore. So under this, underscore yeah, two yeah, underscores. Two of them. All right, and uh, I was going to let people sort of work for it. But, <laughs> yeah, you're just giving it away. Ah, well, I, 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 want, I want you to get the followers, though. You know, they'll if find me if they want me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> now they will just find you. Um, Darren's a really good tweeter. Follow him, and uh, thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back hopefully next week. Um, and that's bye from me. 
Thank you for listening. And goodbye. Travel well. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 